All right, we are back. I'm Janine. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Get the Funk Out. If you're not familiar with the show, you can visit the show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. Standing by is Lisa Cornwell, who's written this powerful book called Troublemaker, a memoir of sexism, retaliation, and the fight they didn't see coming. And the forward is by Hillary Rodham Clinton. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I want to congratulate you on this book. It's uh, it's a very powerful story. Can you take us back to really your inspiration to, to tell this story? Because it's something that was brewing for a long time. Tell me about why this was so important for you to write. Well, anybody who's read it understands that it's a very difficult story to tell. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to sort of get the message out via social media or via podcast, and I'd done a couple, and I was able to tell part of the story, but in order to be able to tell the whole story and to share it with other folks and hopefully, you know, spark this conversation, I realized that this this was something that I wanted to do. I wanted to not only to be able to tell my story, but to name names, because mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times these perpetrators, people who do this repeatedly, they're protected for whatever reason it is. I think people have this fear of speaking out and naming who it is, um, that that it will affect them down the road in terms of their job. And look, at, I understand that. I, I think that that fear is valid. I think it's very real. But I just wasn't afraid to do it. In, fa- in fact, I wanted to do it. And yeah. so that's when the idea to get this book out there came about. That's great. I want to tell listeners a little bit about you. You spent seven years as an on-air host and reporter for Golf Channel, establishing yourself as a respected voice in the game. Prior to the Golf Channel, you worked in similar roles for the Big Ten Network, as well as local affiliates in Mississippi, Tennessee, and Ohio. Um, You shared this uh, story that... Here, I'll just read this. During my seven years as an on-air host and reporter at Golf Channel, I made some powerful enemies by being a strong advocate for equality and fairness. Those enemies eventually conspired to push me and other women out because we refused to stay silent. And you and I had spoken before we jumped on that, to me, you know, bystander behavior is the worst. And I feel like you inspire other women. You did. You inspired over 30 women to come forward about their encounters as well. Oh, and I think that, I think that maybe that's the difficult part is having that first person do it. Now, a lot of those women, unfortunately, couldn't use their names for various reasons. Either it was fear-based or, or legal-based because they had signed NDAs. And that's what companies do. They, they buy your silence, mm-hmm. in essence. And I, I was overwhelmed. I mean, I'm still getting messages from women. I got one yesterday from a woman who has been in this business and, and worked um, within the walls of, of this corporation, and ha- she's dealt with the exact same thing. Uh, the unfortunate part is a lot of those people want to continue their careers with either NBC or ESPN or whatever outlet it is, mm-hmm. and they don't want to seek out because they think it will jeopardize their future. And like I said, I I understand that. I really do. Um, But hopefully we'll get more women to speak out and and try to do something about this once and for all. It's gone on for way too long. And I can't believe we're still dealing with it to this magnitude and the year that we're in. You know, your book made me think about being 23 out of grad school and my first job. And I remember somebody 
um, sexually harassing me in the office, and I was so quiet. I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't tell anybody. I, I was dumbfounded. I was like deer in the headlights. Yeah. You know? I think a lot of people are. I think people are. They don't, they don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. They don't know who will protect them or if they will be protected or if their speaking out will cause them to lose their job. And trust me, I mean, I, I tell people all the time, I am living, breathing proof that retaliation is absolutely real. It, it, it exists. I mean, you think about it. Nine months after I filed the first of two EEOC charges against Golf Channel, mm-hmm. I was demoted. They demoted me on the heels of fire of of filing this charge and blamed it on budget. And that's what that's what companies do. And we just we have to do something about it. It's 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 horrible the way that employees are treated for trying to do the right thing. No, I completely agree. Could you share the story? <laughs> because it was an unbelievable story, of the three iron that saved your life. Yes, so I was a freshman in college, and I, I was attending SMU on a golf scholarship. And I came home almost every weekend. I was really struggling personally, trying to figure myself out in a lot of different ways, and I was struggling with golf. I just didn't want to do it anymore, but I had a my entire college was being paid for so I felt this pressure to keep going but anyway I was home that weekend I played basketball in high school as well and I I missed sort of that environment so I went home to one of our games and just saw my old teammates and coaches and when I left I was walking out and I noticed this crowd gathered around this car and it was not far from me at all 30 feet or so Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, I saw this big man just rear back and punch this little girl in the face. And she fell back on the hood of the car so forcefully that it put a slight dent in the car. Oh, and everybody was just watching. Nobody yeah. did anything. And I could just feel, I could feel this rage. Like, every time I tell this story, I, some of the rage still comes back. And I, I was, I was obviously furious with the man who had punched it, but I was almost as furious with the crowd who just sat yes, there and watched. Absolutely. And I immediately, I had my golf clubs in my trunk. I always had them in my trunk. I popped, I, I had the clicker and I just popped it and I went over and grabbed it, the first thing that I could and it was my three iron in my golf bag. Mm-hmm. And I knew, like, I, I'm I'm not a big person either. This man was a lot bigger than me, but, I mean, I, I was an athlete, I was strong, but I was also a pretty highly competitive golfer, and I knew with that three iron, he didn't stand a chance against me no matter what he did. Yes. And so I started yelling at him, and when I did, and and I walked over, and I continued to yell at him, and he grabbed me by the throat, and I just remember this flash of him bending down because he saw that I had that club, and I in my assumption, in my mind, he was grabbing a rock or something. He was going to do something to me. And at that yeah. moment, I just took the hosel of my three iron and hit him as hard as I could in the yeah. shin. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously, he gasped in pain, limped off. I mean, just and, – and everybody's just still watching. Okay, the that poor was, girl ran Lisa, into the Lisa, that was school. my question. Was, Lisa, this yeah. man grabs you by the neck and nobody in the crowd does anything. Well, they didn't do anything when he punched her in the face. Yeah. They did nothing. They continued to do nothing. Wow. How uh, many times do we see it now? You get on YouTube and people oh, are yeah. videoing alter- physical altercations on a subway. It still happens. It's still happening. It sure is. Tell me about uh, your relationship with Tiger Woods. Mm, yeah. So Tiger and I grew up playing 
on the American Junior Golf Association Tour. It's the highest level of a junior player that you can get. And we just love the game. And for some reason, developed this pretty close friendship. We played a lot of practice rounds together. I got to know his dad well. I tell the story in the book about I, I, Tiger and I joke. I, I tell him that I call it Pinecone Gate because mm. his dad, as I go through the story, he did not like the way I practiced at all. I mean, Tiger was very disciplined. Tiger's dad, Colonel Woods, was a Green Beret, okay. and there's no there's no doubt that that is part of Tiger Woods' success. And so, I, I smile every time because I adored Colonel Woods. He was a mentor to me. Mm-hmm. He really helped me in the game of golf. And because of that relationship and my relationship with Tiger, you know, it continued. And when I started working at Golf Channel, we were able to rekindle that and, and stay in touch to this day. So I'm really grateful for that because Tiger's been a huge friend and, and supporter during this process. That's great. Amazing. You do talk about uh, Brendel. Is it uh, Chambly? Yes. So this was the rival you never wanted. Tell me about that. Well, he's like a lot of people at, at companies. I mean, I, I just equate him to sort of a narcissistic bully. You yes. know, he's always right. Everything has to go his way. If you challenge him, it gets incredibly defensive. Mm-hmm. And it just escalated. I mean, I, I'm not going to, just because of his status at the network, just agree with everything that he has to say. I right. You know, I have a lot of strong opinions about the game of golf and players who I've gotten to know and develop relationships. And I think that he didn't like that I challenged him on, on certain issues. To this day, I can't figure it out. I can tell you is that I think that he has an issue with strong women. Yes. But the bottom line is he shouldn't have been able to affect my job. He shouldn't have been able to affect whether I had a job at golf channel or not. Mm -hmm. And toward the end of the time, after the demotion, uh, just a couple days after, I found out that he had been lobbying Molly Solomon, the executive producer, to get rid of me. And I don't know how much that weighed in, but I have to think, given all of the things that Brandel has done at Golf Channel over the years and gotten away with, mm-hmm. that that had a major influence on her decision. Yeah, it appears to be. Sure. I wanted to uh, step back a little bit. You talk about how you battled anxiety uh, on air, but when you were younger, you also suffered from bulimia. Where do you think these body issues stem from? I think a lot of young girls suffer from it. I can't imagine how much it, it's exploded with this social media craze. You know, yeah. the, the, ins- the whole notion of Instagram and Comparing you know being yourself. able to edit these photos yeah. and take selfies and everybody always looks perfect. I mean, this whole idea of perfection, I think, leads to a lot of these things. For me, I was also struggling with my sexuality, and I grew up in a Southern Baptist household. And so, you know, as a young golfer and a young athlete who was always winning awards and people were telling me how great I was and all of these different accolades, I felt like a failure because there was something wrong with me, not with the eating disorder, but I think in terms of coming to grips with my sexuality. And I think that it was an outlet. I write in the book, and I believe it to this day, that the eating disorder was one thing in my life that I felt like I could control. Sure. I couldn't control my sexuality. I couldn't control the fact that I was losing this love for the game of golf that I thought would become my career. Mm-hmm. All of these things around me seemed to be falling apart. But with the eating disorder, I was, I was the sole decision maker. I yeah. decided when it happened, how it happened. And I wouldn't let anybody else in. And really, it was the secrecy of it all that that gave it the fuel to keep going. 
And that's where therapy came into play. And what I learned is once I let go of the secrecy and sort of became vulnerable to it, that's when it lost its powers with me. That's what I was going to say. I was wondering if once you were able to be your true self, if uh, your eating disorder really diminished. The sexuality part, that took a long time. And I think to, to a point, I still struggle with it a little bit. I think it's just the way that I raised I was raised. I mean, my parents are fine with it now. We have a great relationship. I'm very fortunate. But I think really for me, it was the process of going through therapy. I, I don't think that I fully would have been able to, to let go of being bulimic without going to therapy and, and unleashing all these different issues that I had going on in my life. And it was more than just the sexuality, but I think that it was the secrecy of it. And yeah. so to talk about it and to be vulnerable allowed me to sort of the process of healing in that regard to begin. No, that's amazing. I feel like, you know, a lot of people, they live in shame. They don't really feel comfortable sharing who they truly are and they're questioning themselves and they're depressed and there's so much anxiety. So it's amazing you were able to work this out through therapy, you know. I'm grateful for it. It, you know, it it changed my life. And like I put in the acknowledgments to my therapist, my longtime therapist back then, who helped me through that process of the eating disorder. She was my guardian angel. And I, you know, I'm grateful that I'm able to let go of the stigma. I know people deal with all sorts of different mental health issues. And there is shame. There's embarrassment and shame. And and that's part of why I wanted to put this in the book, because I want people to know that it's okay to, to have these issues. It's okay to not be okay. I mean, life is hard. We go through different things, and, and the best way to get through them, the number one way to get through them is to talk about it, to talk about it with a therapist, with a friend, with a, a trusted mentor, just somebody. There is hope, and there is help. Definitely. I feel, especially the past few years, because of the pandemic, a lot of people needed to peel back their layers. Um, I know for me, for example, I started seeing a therapist a couple years ago because there was a lot of things that I kind of discovered about myself I needed to work on, and it's, it is really important. It is, and finding a therapist is hard. I think that, you know, oh, yeah. I, I do put in the book that there's not only a mental health crisis in, in the country, and I'm sure around the world, but there's also a crisis of having resources to help. Yes, so there is. I commend anybody who is in that field or thinking about that field. I, I can't encourage that enough because we need it so desperately, and that need is o- only going to grow. Yes, I agree. I agree. So um, I know we have to wrap up, but um, tell me about uh, the afterword that written uh, by Tucker Booth. So I think that Tucker sort of sends home the whole message from his perspective of really what I dealt with and what people deal with from from antagonists in all walks of life. And, and he talked about it really in that social media. He saw it firsthand. But Tucker helped me write the book, and he's become like a, a brother to me. He really has. He's gone to battle with me. And he, he also, I think, that afterward was important because before Tucker agreed to sign on to do this, he wanted to fully vet me. He knew a lot of people who I worked with in the past, and mm-hmm. he didn't tell me who he was going to call. He just said that he had a number of people who he wanted to sort of validate my character, and I welcomed it. I wanted him to because my character is all that I have, and so for him to be able to put all of those different stories in there really, it meant the world to me because 
excuse me, it wasn't for me. It was from another source sort of validating not only my story, but me as a person. And nothing in the world means more to me than that. That's fantastic. Well, we have to wrap up. I want to thank you so much for joining us. I've been speaking with Lisa Cornwell, uh, who's written this fantastic book, Troublemaker, a memoir of sexism, retaliation, and the fight they didn't see coming. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. If you missed any part of this conversation, I will have it on the show blog. We're going to have Fritz Coleman joining us in just a moment. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. (laughs) 